Well, good morning. Um, thanks. Welcome back from Thanksgiving break. Um, I hope that you all had a little bit of time to rest and um, be with family and friends and maybe eat some good food, pie. Um, or if you're like Josh Harvey, you could just go get married on Saturday. Um, so yeah, I hope you guys had a great break. Um, it's, I'm happy to tell you that you can now officially listen to Christmas music without shame. All right? Um, those of you who were listening to it before, we'll talk later. Um, yeah, we are officially in the holiday season, aren't we? We are supposed to be merry and jolly and bright and happy. Um, it's a season of joy and comfort and peace, season of laughter, warm, fuzzy feelings. But what if it's not? What if it's not? You guys literally came back from break, and the only thing you have in front of you are finals and papers, right? There's mistletoe mingle, that's good. But you have a lot ahead of you that might seem hard. You know, so what if actually this season that is supposed to be sort of jolly and bright feels more like a season of disappointment for you? What if instead of holiday cheer, it's kind of quarreling and disagreement? Or instead of comfort, it's mitigating risk? Instead of holiday memories with those you love, it's grief and loss. Instead of the most wonderful time of the year, it's a dreaded season of disappointment. You guys are like, awesome, this is going to be a great job talk. <laughs> No, but here's the thing. Over the break, um, I had a series of disappointing moments, sort of one on top of the other. We had sick kids in our house. We had unmet expectations about family time. We had some miscommunication happening between me and my spouse, my husband. Um, we had unrealized hopes about sort of family dinner time memories, right? Like at Thanksgiving, we're like, okay, kids, everyone, let's talk about what you're thankful for. And they were seriously not having it. Like they were mad. Um, even as we put up the Christmas tree, our kids were quarreling about who got to put the star on the top, right? And then one kid spills hot cider on the rug. I mean, it was, it was literally, it was just one thing after another of disappointment for me. Um, I love traditions and I love, I'm a very sentimental person and it just wasn't happening over Thanksgiving. And when the song came on, you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year, I wanted to throw my shoe at it. Like it didn't feel that way to me at all. And then our, per our pipes burst in our crawl space and where was water everywhere. Thank you, yes, it was rough. The disappointment was real. And I think part of that is because the expectations around this season are actually really high, really high. But I've been thinking about this. Disappointment is not limited to this time of year is it? It's actually a pretty normal part of the human experience for us. We all know the feeling. That sadness and the frustration or even um, anger and maybe even resignation when our hopes um, or expectations are not fulfilled or met. It's not a fun experience and multiple discouragements over time can actually really weigh us down. Seasons of unmet expectations or hopes can make us grumpy, 
and melancholy, short-tempered, and withdrawn. And the hard thing is, sorry to say this, but it's true, disappointment can't really be avoided. I bet you don't have to pause long to think about the last time you were disappointed. Maybe you were disappointed with someone. Family members, friends, boyfriend or girlfriend, a pastor, professor. Maybe your disappointment was in a situation or a circumstance. Maybe being home for a break was actually really hard. Or maybe coming back to campus feels tough. Grades aren't where you, they should be. Maybe you have finals looming ahead of you. You have tension in relationships. You aren't dating anyone or you just broke up with someone. Or maybe you are disappointed with yourself. You haven't made great decisions recently. You are still battling addictive sin patterns. You have a tendency to waste time. You can't control your anger. You feel jealous of those around you. You can't seem to get it together. You struggle with mental health. Or maybe, and this is true and real, I think, you are disappointed with God. You read your Bible and you pray, but nothing happens. You ask God to change things, but he doesn't. You actually want to feel God's presence, but he feels far away. God is not meeting your expectations. He is not fulfilling your hopes. And so my question for us this morning is what do we do when we are disappointed? I've been asking myself this question for a couple of weeks, especially this past week, as I experience my own moments of disappointment and as I talk with people who are walking through similar things. And here's what's interesting is that I went to God's word, right? And I found out that there are not actually verses about disappointment. Okay, like if you put in your search engine, disappointment on Bible Gateway, you're not gonna have a lot come up. There's a lot of verses about fear and anxiety, and I think those emotions can sometimes arise out of disappointment, but you're not gonna find much about just disappointment. It's tough to find a verse that addresses that moment when your shoulders sort of droop because things aren't going the way you want, hoped or wanted, that moment when life doesn't give you what you want when you want it. But then I started thinking about the narrative of scripture and I realized that the history of redemption is actually full of disappointed people. Noah built a huge boat in the middle of the desert before anyone even knew what rain was. He put all the animals in the ark and then guess what? He waited for seven days in the ark before there was a single drop of water. Can you imagine his disappointment? Of like, hey God, did you get this wrong? Right, like disappointment. Abraham was promised a multitude of descendants when he was 75. And then he and his wife Sarah went through almost two decades of the monthly cycle of hope and expectation and disappointment before they even had a son. Moses was commissioned by God to approach Pharaoh and free God's people. He was promised God's presence and then Pharaoh like rejected him and even like went after him and threatened him. He was probably pretty confused and disappointed. The Israelites themselves were dramatically rescued from Egypt after 400 years of slavery and then they come across, they come up to the Red Sea and there's no place for them to go. Can you imagine their disappointment? Their feelings of expectation and hope and 
everything was going to be okay, and then they hit the Red Sea. David was anointed king of Israel at a really young age, and then he spent most of his adult life running away from Saul, who was trying to kill him. Disappointment reverberates through David's psalms. Read them sometime. Jeremiah, the prophet to Israel, he called people to repentance for over 30 years and didn't see a single change. Lots of disappointed people in God's story of redemption. And then we come to the disciples and the friends of Jesus. Read through the gospel sometime and pay attention to all the ways that they were disappointed in Jesus. Do you remember when the disciples were on the boat, right, and a storm comes up and they look for Jesus and where was he? What was he doing? He was sleeping. And they ask a disappointed question. Jesus, don't you care about us? Or do you remember when Mary and Martha came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, Lazarus, our brother, is sick. You need to come and heal him quickly. It says that Jesus delayed and stayed where he was for two more days and Lazarus died. Can you imagine their disappointment and their disillusionment with Jesus when he didn't come and heal their brother? Or think about how confused and sad the disciples felt the moment Jesus was arrested and how that disappointment turned into their worst nightmare when Jesus died and was buried in a borrowed tomb. See, in the Christian tradition, we talk a lot about Good Friday, about the death of Jesus and all that that accomplished, and we should, it's really important. And we also talk about Easter, right? The day when Jesus rose from the dead, and that it's a very pivotal moment for us as Christians, and we should talk about that too. But I think maybe for this morning, we should spend some time talking about that Saturday in between the Friday and the Sunday. That day when all of the expectations and hopes and desires of Jesus' followers were shattered. It was a Saturday of nothing other than gut-wrenching disappointment. They had put all their eggs in the Jesus basket and nothing happened. The day that God seemed really silent, when their biggest dreams were gone but they still had to wake up and live, It's probably actually difficult for us to truly understand the disappointment of Jesus' disciples because we know what happens on the third day. We know what's coming next, right? We know that everything works out in the end. But let's not rush through those 24 hours of agonizing disappointment. It's there. Jesus didn't just die and then a few hours raise again from the dead. There was a day in between. One pastor I heard referred to this as a third day story, okay? And there are actually lots of them throughout scripture if you wanna go look at it sometime. Um, In Genesis 22, when Abraham was instructed by God to go up and offer Isaac as a sacrifice, he had to travel for two days knowing what was coming. And then on the third day, he arrived at the mountain and that was the day that God delivered the lamb, the ram in exchange for Isaac's life. In Exodus 19, God comes down from Mount Sinai to visit the Israelites, but they had been camped out in the wilderness with this like cloud and noise happening above them for two days. And he comes down on the third day to meet with them. Esther, she bravely appears before the king on the third day. And the prophet Jonah was delivered from the stinky belly of a whale on the third day. These third day stories follow a pattern. 
Day one, trouble arises or the conflict ensues or begins, right? Day two, you have more trouble and disappointment sets in because you've prayed for deliverance on day one and nothing's happening. Only on day three do you experience deliverance or restoration. But here's the thing, when do you know you are sitting in the middle of a third day story? Only when you're on the third day. Only when you're on the third day. So again, imagine the disciples on Saturday. They were in the middle of a third day story, but they didn't know it, or at least they forgot it. All of Jesus' words about coming back and rising from the dead on the third day were gone in their sorrow. They were sitting in the middle of their disappointment and the pain and silence of God seemed to accentuate that pain. They didn't know what was at play behind the scenes and they didn't know that everything would change the next morning. Y'all, I think on a macro level, okay, on a big level, we are all sitting in a Saturday moment in redemptive history, okay? And what I mean by that is that we are living in the already not yet. We know this, we're at Covenant College, right? We know that Jesus is coming back, but we don't know when. And so our daily reality is actually one in which we continually battle sin and sickness, broken relationships and unrealized dreams. We deal with chronic pain and emotional unrest. We fight against depression and anxiety. We feel disappointed. And perhaps this, that disappointment even settles in really deep and turns into despair or hopelessness. Either way, the tensions that we feel as we live life on this side of the new heavens and the new earth, it tells us that Sunday is not here yet. We are not living on Sunday. Now, on a micro level, on a personal level, I wonder if you're sitting in a Saturday. Maybe trouble has come, and maybe you've prayed for deliverance, or you've prayed for things to change, or you've prayed for God to be near you in this moment, and nothing's happening, and you don't sense any relief. You feel a sincere and deep sense of disappointment. People have let you down. Circumstances are far from what you wish they would be. And then to top it all off, God seems far away. And here we are sitting in the Christmas season, and that seems to only pour some salt into that wound. So again, I ask, what do we do in a season of disappointment? It seems like there are maybe three options. Okay, there might be more. These are the three I came up with when disappointment arises. So the first option is despair. We can accept sort of what an, one author calls this idea of foreboding joy. That feeling that even when something is going well, you're just waiting for something terrible to come hit you from around the corner. It's that idea that it's better to live disappointed than to be disappointed. We convince ourselves that things won't get better and so we refuse to fight for joy or hope. And it's kind of a decision actually to stop trying. So why would you try? You're just gonna be disappointed in the end. And so sometimes we check out and we numb. Okay, the second option I think is denial. This is the whole idea of like making lemonade out of lemons. 
Okay, it's where we sort of toughen up and we look for easy answers. Maybe we throw Romans 8.28 at the problem. Um, we sit in false triumphalism. It's refusing to be honest and to acknowledge how difficult things are. So instead of refusing to try, like you do when you're in despair, we actually grasp for control wherever we can. We deny the hard things, we overlook disappointment, and we seek to achieve and then to manage people, circumstances, and even ourselves. We do our best to suck it up and fix it. The thing is that neither one of those two options actually protect us from disappointment. In the end, despair just squashes all joy, and denial eventually leads to bitterness. But I think there's a third option. The third option is to wait. Not super exciting, I know. I wish the third option was to forego seasons of disappointment altogether, or at least to like fast forward through those really hard parts. But if nothing else, I think disappointment forces us to come to grips with the fact that we are not ultimately in control. We are not actually in charge of how things pan out. And we're limited. We're only able to see what's presently in front of us. In some ways, disappointment can be a mirror. It can show us, show us where we actually find our hope, where we actually find our significance, where we actually find our identity. When we feel disappointed, it could be because our idols have taken a hit. This is also why waiting is so hard. We are used to instant gratification and we live in a culture where our personal happiness trumps all. But hear this, our spiritual family history, our heritage exhorts us to remember that disappointed people who are faithful turn into waiting people. We are at the beginning of Advent, a purposeful season of preparation and waiting. And we remember the birth of Christ, we remember the long waiting of God's people for the Messiah. But we also are waiting now for Jesus to return. We wait for him to come back and to make all of the sad things untrue, all of the ugly things beautiful, and to turn all of our disappointed longings into the actual things our hearts truly and desperately desire, which is Jesus himself. And if you hear nothing else, hear this. When we feel disappointed, we must wait, but we do not wait alone. We wait with Jesus. And this is far from a passive thing. Waiting is inviting Jesus to be with us as we, in our disappointment, right, in that moment of disappointment, as we expect and anticipate and hope and watch for things to change. It is recognizing that we are in day two of a third day story, but it's watching with expectation that deliverance is around the corner. Disappointment is inevitable. But so is redemption, friends. Waiting is embracing both sides of that coin fully and honestly, learning to hold both sadness and joy, 
hope and discouragement, light and shadow in the same space. And we do this because Jesus did this. Jesus, God incarnate, emptying himself to walk among us on earth. Think about that for a second. Can you imagine the daily disappointments he must have experienced? Listen to John's account. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Jesus understands disappointment. He knows the sadness and the frustration that unrealized dreams can produce. He understands how hard it is to fight for joy and he knows that hope can be elusive. And this is the Jesus who beckons us to come to him and to wait with him when we feel disappointed. He came down and lived in our Saturdays so that we could rise with him on his Sunday. So you might feel disappointed in the next few weeks, or perhaps you already are, like I am. But let me encourage you, as I encourage myself, to press into the season of Advent, the season of waiting. Be honest about your disappointments, but watch with anticipation and hope with Jesus as you wait for him to come back. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do pray that Emmanuel would come again. Lord, we know that we are weak when we feel our finitude, when we feel these instances and moments of disappointment. We want to escape them, we want to deny them, or maybe we want to wallow in them. But Lord, through your spirit, we pray that you would teach us to wait. And not to wait alone, but to wait with Jesus. We need you, we need you every hour. And so Lord, as we celebrate Advent, as we celebrate Christmas, as as we remember what you have done because you love us, would that inspire us and motivate us and strengthen us to wait for what you're coming back to do. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.